Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. Here's, I think, the challenge for us then. So what does this mean for us? The challenge is this. Do we as Christians fully lean on God's kindness this way? Fully leaning on God's kindness should feel risky. If you're not leaning on God's kindness in a way that feels risky, I'm not sure you're fully leaning on God's kindness. It should feel like, okay, if I do this, there's no going back. That is the Christian life. And the thing that I think is highlighted here, even against chapter two, is this is all in. Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Just about everybody is afraid of making a significant life change whether it's doing something they have little experience with or moving forward in a relationship. But we frequently want to talk about how kind God has been to us. Does that apply to us specifically? Today, Pastor Ricky explains how you might develop a dependence on God's goodness. You can put your trust in God and follow through when He instructs you to take a daring move. You can feel His kindness in your life when you take that risk. Now let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Ruth, chapter three, as he begins his message, The Posture of Kindness. Let's open the Bible to Ruth chapter three. Ruth chapter three. If I say Ruth chapter three and you're like, I don't know what to do, just pull out your phone, Google Ruth three, ESV, English Standard Version is what we're gonna use. And we'd love to introduce you to this part of the Bible. Um, I think you'll connect with it if you're new, and I hope it makes you wanna learn more and continue coming to learn about the Bible. Is what we do. Now, for the Advent and Christmas season, we're talking about the little town of Bethlehem, but not during the time of Christ, uh, centuries earlier, during the time of the judges. But we're gonna learn the backstory to the Christmas story, as it were. Now, this, as we've talked about, is kind of a Hallmark movie-esque chapter, uh, story in the Bible. It has all the ingredients you need for a good Hallmark movie, okay? One, it has, you know, it has a young woman that's experienced hardship. So in Ruth's case, she lost her husband, you know, and tragically, you know, hadn't had any kids or anything. And so she's left alone and her father-in-law dies as well. His brother dies. Everyone's sad. And she has no real, you know, home anymore. Then there's also her mother-in-law, who is a bitter old lady. Every Hallmark movie always has like a bitter old person, right? Whose heart gets warmed by the end. But they start off bitter, like screwed her, you know? And it just so happens to have a very rich, very eligible bachelor who it just so happened never ended up getting married, all right? And so you begin to see, oh, I see what they're gonna do. And a town who really has lost the true meaning of Christmas. Or maybe a better way to say that, that, this town that in the time of the judges, it is a challenge to find joy and hope amidst all the chaos and war and famine around them, but who by the end, the entire town rejoices at what takes place. And it ends with a singing, dancing, musical number as a baby is born and everybody is happy and passing out hot chocolate. So we'll get there. But the main point of the book of Ruth, I don't want us to lose this, is the kindness of God. That's the theme chapter after chapter. And the main point today is that the kindness of God and his posture toward us shapes our posture toward him and others. The kindness of God and his posture toward us shapes our posture toward him and others. Now, we're gonna look at this in three sections. Before we do, let's ask for God's help. Now, Lord, we ask for your help as we open your word. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, this ancient book has such a beautiful truth, and I do pray that you'd, you would allow us, and through the preaching moment, through, allow us to, to bring out this shining gem 
of the kindness of God and admire and enjoy it together. Amen. All right, first section is our posture toward God. So our posture toward God. Now, we saw in chapter two that, that Naomi undergoes a transformation from chapter one. In chapter one, Naomi, who loses her uh, husband, who loses both of her sons, says when she comes back to Bethlehem, don't call me Naomi, which means sweet. Call me Mara, which means bitter. It's like if you'd see a friend that you haven't seen for, you know, for a long time at Christmas and you're like, you know, Julie, how are you? And Julie says, the first thing she says back to you is, I'm not Julie anymore. I'm bitter. And you're like, whoa, Julie. I ran into Julie at the, you know, that, that's the feel from her. And she says, the hand of the Lord is against me. She doesn't see it. And, and God's hand, kindness is absent her life. But then in chapter two, because of the kindness of Boaz, she ends up finally seeing it, finally seeing the light. And she rejoices that the Lord's kindness has not forsaken us. So she undergoes this transformation. So when we see the kindness of God, how are we to respond? Well, that's what chapter three, the beginning of it is about. Now, uh, before we jump into chapter three, one thing to note, a number of weeks have elapsed between chapter two and chapter three. So chapter two, uh, Ruth and Boaz meet near the beginning of the barley harvest. This is the end of the barley harvest. So a number of weeks have elapsed. Now, Ruth three, chapter one, this is God's word. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young woman you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies and then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. Verse five, and she replied, all that you say, I will do. Now, I want to make a huge disclaimer before we continue on in chapter three. I was talking to a, a couple from the church, and they were letting me know they're talking about getting engaged, you know, and they're, they're waiting for some things to happen, but, but they're kind of moving in that direction. And I told them, well, I want you to make sure you read Ruth chapter three. This is our recommended practice for engagement. I want you to uh, wait for your boyfriend to fall asleep, break into his home, throw the blankets off of him, and lie down at the foot of the bed, and then jump up and surprise him and see how that goes, right? And then kind of half propose to him. And they were just like, you're kidding, right? Yes, I'm kidding. This is not, I wanna be clear, this is not our recommended cross of grace practice for engagement, ladies. If your boyfriend has been delaying getting engaged and you wanna talk about that, Pastor Vince and the counseling ministry are here to serve you. But we do not recommend this practice necessarily. The author of Ruth does not specifically recommend the practice. It doesn't say that, hey, this is the wisest course of action. This is the best way to do this. In many ways, the plan is relatively questionable, but we're meant to see something in the plan that I think is notable. There is, out of like maybe, I don't know about this, I don't know about that, out of all of that, there's one thing in the plan that is notable and commendable, and that is that Naomi is willing to put her faith in God by putting her faith in Boaz. Now, why does she do that? Well, because Naomi clearly sees the kindness of God shining through Boaz in chapter two, right? She sees this is a man of the Lord. This is a generous man. This is a man helping the outsider and the poor and the outcast. And so Naomi, seeing the kindness of God, as it were, in Boaz, says, I'm gonna lean on, lean fully on the kindness of God. Now, this is a risky plan to kind of go all in on Boaz, 
What it appears is that Naomi, what she's trying to do here is a couple things. First, she's trying to get a one-on-one conversation undistracted between Ruth and Boaz, okay? Um, Preferably after Ruth is not sweaty and muddy from being in the field all day, right? To have this conversation, best best shot, you know, just saying. Probably want to wash for once and then get him alone somewhere where you can have this conversation rather than just amidst all the fields and all the workers there. Uh, And... Approach him when he's in a good mood, right? So he's just had the harvest, he's celebrating, he's had a big meal, he's like, yes, the Lord is good. And when his heart is full of the kindness of God is when you wanna approach him. Now, the other details of the plan. Approach him in the middle of the night, okay? Uh, Lay down next to his feet, okay? No one else is around, okay? This does seem questionable. This is definitely an atmosphere of risk, of physical romantic charge, even danger if, if Boaz was not a godly man. And if this plan fails, this is a big, this is a big uh, swing. Because if this fails, if Boaz rejects her, if he makes a spectacle of this, if if he's offended by this, the whole town will hear about it. This is a small town. Word will get around. Anyone there is not going to want to marry Ruth anymore if Boaz rejects her publicly. So why does she do this? Why does Naomi do this? Well, again, she sees the kindness of God shining through Boaz. And essentially what she says is, I see the kindness of God shining through Boaz. We're gonna lean fully on this kindness of God in Boaz. It's like this. I, I, uh, do we have any Jeopardy fans? Do you guys like Jeopardy? Any but Jeopardy fans? Yes. Don't be ashamed, nerds. We love you. I'm just kidding. Uh, I like Jeopardy, but one part of Jeopardy gives me anxiety. Have you guys picked up a lot of things that give me anxiety? One part of Jeopardy gives me anxiety, which is the end where everybody has like an amount of money and then they get one final question and then they have to wager the money they've earned in the game on their answer to the question, right? And so here's what I've found. When I watch Jeopardy, it doesn't matter how much like money I've got or what the question is, the idea of wagering the money just bothers me. You know, just like, you know, say you've got $10,000 and, you, and you're pretty sure, you're 85% sure you know the answer. Most people are like, done, you know, $5,000, you know, that way in case somebody busts, you know, and, so, and they've got this plan. I would bet every time $1, right? Then at the end, I'll have $10,002, right? If I get it right. And you think, well, that's no way to win Jeopardy, but that's what I like because I don't like going all in, like on anything, just like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm even bad at card games. Do you have to bet or do you have to guess? Like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bluff. I don't like bluffing. I'm just, you know, I'm just conservative and I just slowly bleed out in any recreational poker games. I'm not going to win. I just survive as long as possible. That's the way I, I am. Naomi is the opposite here, okay? Imagine this. At the end of Jeopardy, the answer is, who is Boaz? And Naomi goes, all the money, $10,000. Whatever I've got, we're all in on Boaz. Now, Ruth then follows the advice of her mother-in-law. Now, one of the things that I do love about this that I can't say a ton about, but one of the things I do love about this that I wish I could say more is that Ruth and Boaz seem to have mutual respect for each other, but they're stuck, (laughs) right? And so Naomi sees this and tries to say, Ruth, you know, let's push this forward. And perhaps Naomi is sensing, hey, there's something there. They both really, at bare minimum, they really respect each other. 
So let's, let's, let's push this forward. Which singles is an argument for a godly older friend who loves the Lord and loves you to give you advice about your relationships? This is for free. This is a side note, not related to the point. Find a godly older friend. Now, hopefully one that does not advocate plans exactly like this, but somebody who loves you and loves the Lord. Not just, and everybody always talks to their peers about their relationships, that's fine. Talk to somebody who's been through it and is like two decades older than you, all right? That's just my advice. All right, that's for free, let's move on. Now, Ruth follows the advice of her mother-in-law, doesn't say whether she likes this plan or not, but she's like, okay, well, I'll go with it. And I think Ruth too, we're meant to see, pursues this course of action essentially because of the same reason Naomi does. She has faith in God. She sees the kindness of God in Boaz. She sees he's a godly man. She sees this must be the avenue that the Lord is showing us for his his, uh, preservation of us. So let's go all in here. So verse six, how does this go? Now this is a, just so you know, this is supposed to be suspenseful. We're supposed to think, I'm not sure this is a great plan. What is gonna happen? Verse six, so she, Ruth, went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Okay, pause there. You may be wondering what's going on here. Okay, so what would happen is there would be a, a, a flat place kind of out by the fields that they would harvest the barley and they would throw it in the air when there was evening winds and the chaff part of the barley would blow away and the grain would fall to the ground. So they were kind of tossing it in the air and, and basically developing this huge pile of barley grain. And somebody would have to stay and guard it overnight because they'd be doing this in the evening. And then the next day, they'd kind of bag it up and store it and all that stuff. But for that evening, they were just trying to get it separated. So typically, you would leave a servant or somebody like that to guard. And Boaz seems to have no shortage of servants, right, of people with him. But this is why I love this dude, okay? Chapter 2. When the meal's coming out, he's on the grill. He's serving people. He's serving his servants. And then here, he is the guy that says, I will stay overnight and guard the grain. You guys go home. You worked hard today. I've got this. Don't you just love this dude? I love this dude. Good example for leadership. That's a whole other message. But Boaz is there. And, and Ruth is probably thinking, man, he really is a, guy, a man of character. He's willing to stay out you know, all night doing this. So she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. And at midnight, which means just the middle of the night, the man was startled, probably because his feet were really cold, and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth. Now, here's the other thing about this I love. You know, it's probably dark. He probably can't see her perfectly. The other reason he doesn't know who she is is he's only ever seen her in the context, remember, of sweat and mud and field work and cuts. And so he's a little like, wait, who are you? And so she has to say, I am Ruth. And of course, he's thinking, oh, oh, like, you know, okay, okay, wow. She cleans up pretty well. Uh, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, this is amazing. So remember, Naomi only told Ruth to go there and then basically present herself to Boaz in this symbol of kind of asking for his help, being under his feet, asking for his assistance, and kind of letting him decide how he's going to help. Ruth, if Naomi goes all in, Ruth like ups the ante and goes all in and basically says, 
two important things. First, she calls herself a servant, a, a maid servant. So this is a servant that, that was not a slave servant. It was a servant that could have children um, that the, in the ancient world, I'm not saying we should do this, but the, the ancient world, it was essentially a concubine. It could be a concubine. You could have children that would receive your inheritance through a servant like that. But Ruth does not leave herself there. She says, spread your wings over your servant. So this, in her saying that, she's getting right up to the line. I mean, if like, if this is proposing marriage, like Ruth gets like right up to the line uh, short of proposing marriage. And here's why. In Israel and in many parts of the ancient world, that image was an image of marriage in some sense. Uh, do you guys remember years ago when our friend Billy Rays, who's a pastor out in Midland, and he, his family is Middle Eastern, and so he's talking about marriage. He uses this example, uh, this Middle Eastern tradition that was, would have been present in the times of the Bible, where uh, the husband would have this kind of shawl over him and would, would then, when he's married, then bring his wife under the protection of the shawl. So if you guys were here, you remember Dick and Liz Snow, and Dick is a tall guy, and Billy, don't make eye contact with Billy while he's preaching because he'll pull you onto the stage. And so he, Dick and Liz get pulled on the stage and Dick is there and he looked really good in a shawl. He could pull off a Middle Eastern shawl, which I was surprised by. And so he's there, he's got this shawl, he's a tall man. And then he brings Liz, his wife, they're right there. Could you guys wave just so that everybody could see you? I'm making you embarrassed again. Not, Billy wasn't enough. And so Liz, and they've been married for years and years, decades. So that's why this is so sweet. And Liz comes and, and basically Dick takes the shawl and she's under the protection of the shawl, under his protection, basically saying, all I have, I'm gonna use to cover you. That's what Ruth is saying. She's saying, bring me under the shawl, marry me. Let me take refuge in you, in a sense. Now, this, this is beautiful. This is bold. This is risky, <laughs> but Ruth leans fully on the kindness of God. Like there is no going back from this. There's like, either he's gonna say yes, or he's gonna say, please never come to my field again, right? There's no like, hey, let's stay friends. It's either marriage or nothing, or like go away. And look at what Ruth does. She uses Boaz's words here. Remember in chapter two, where Boaz basically says, uh, may the Lord cover you, may the Lord help you. And, and she takes that image of the Lord covering and helping. And Ruth says, you ask that the Lord cover and help me. I'm asking you to be the means the Lord uses to cover and help me, right? She goes fully in on Boaz. And Boaz, in a second, will point out that, that she could have gone after younger men or other men in uh, the town, Right, either through marriage or just being a mistress. or In other words, if she just wanted a house, if she wanted a stable living situation, there are other people she could have approached. Um, and yet she rejects that. She risks her reputation, goes all in on Boaz. And the other thing that commentators point out is Ruth could have, if she had less character, used this in kind of a, of a seduction mode. Being taking, you know, having Boaz in a vulnerable moment, vulnerable place, she could have sought to seduce him or, or misuse what the Lord's given her, and yet she refrains. She she respectfully asks for his help. And so here's here's I think the challenge for us. Then, so what does this mean for us? The challenge is this: Do we as Christians fully lean on God's kindness this way? Fully leaning on God's kindness should feel risky. 
If you're not leaning on God's kindness in a way that feels risky, I'm not sure you're fully leaning on God's kindness. It should feel like, okay, if I do this, there's no going back. That is the Christian life. And the thing that I think is highlighted here, even against chapter two, is this is all in. This is everything. This is all the money in jeopardy. This is all the chips and poker. This is everything all in on the kindness of God shining through this man. And this is the path of the Christian life. For example, I know a number of singles, are, are, we have a number of singles in our church, and you may have questions like, you know, will God be enough for me while I'm single? Will God give me the relationships I need to find, you know, a family and friends and, you know, even romance if God has that for me? Will God sustain me without that daily companionship at this part of my life? And let me just say this. The interesting thing about the book of Ruth is it highlights the fact that all of us start out single and many of us will be single again. Almost all of us will then be single again, even if we're married at some point in our lives. Like singleness is not like, uh, like everybody's married. And sometimes married, especially in the church, singles can feel like we're the aberration. Everybody else seems married. The reality is if you look at the scope of life, many of us spend more time as singles than married, even if we do marry. So for those seasons, is God enough? Do you fully lean on the kindness of God? A fully leaning means, means saying, look, I, partially leaning could look like this. Okay, let me say it this way. Partially leaning could be like, well, I trust God. I'm going to church. I'm trying to do the thing. But there's this person and they're willing to be in a relationship with me and I know that they're not godly and I know it's not right. I know they wanna do things that you know, don't glorify God, but I'm gonna, I need that because I, I don't wanna go all in on this. Or maybe for some, it's the quiet kind of sour comfort of pornography, right? I'm not, I don't have a companionship. I don't have that right now. So I need this. I, you know, I'm coming to church, but I need this to be able to survive. And here's, here's what Ruth is doing. Ruth is going all in, trusting the kindness of God. Not just with proposing, but even going all in in her coming to Bethlehem, leaving her people, leaving her family behind, going all in. This is her pattern. She is willing to bet it all on the kindness of God again and again and again. That's the path of the Christian life. That's what it should feel like. Now, here's the other thing that I think we see in this story. It is broader than just the world of relationships. Uh, this leaning on the kindness of God, for example, could be in the area of finances, right? For all of us, as we're making decisions about what to spend money on, and even trying to be generous and serve others with the finances God has given us, one of the things that we can do is we can say, well, I know God promises that whatever I invest, he's gonna you know, return in eternity. And I know God has promised that he's gonna be my provider. And I know God has promised that, that in eternity, all of this you know, won't even matter. I'll have a future with him. But it feels really good to spend money on these things, right? Or your career. You, you know, maybe the Lord, you're feeling like the Lord leading you into a career that you know, he allows you to serve people in a particular way or something. I'm thinking you have some social workers in our church that they don't get paid as much as they should or teachers or people like that. And, and you're like, man, I don't know. I could go over here and make more money, but I feel like the Lord is maybe leading me in this way. But I don't know. I'm gonna do this instead, right? That, that feels too risky. That feels like going all in too much. But we face these in all the areas of our life, you know? Hope in God, oh my soul, he is strong and he's strong to save. Hope in God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Thanks for
for being a part of Better News Radio, a ministry of Cross of Grace Church in El Paso, Texas. Pastor Ricky has been focusing on the birth of Jesus this Christmas season. There was nothing ordinary about Jesus coming into the world. He wasn't even born in a decent room, but in a barn among livestock. And yet, Bethlehem was where the plan of God started, the plan to save mankind from themselves, from sin. As we enjoy all of the festivities and goodies that come with the season, remember that underneath it all, we celebrate a miracle of saving grace. For more information about this ministry or about what you've heard today, feel free to send us an email at radio at betternewsradio.com. If you prefer, you can call us at 915-562-7100. We'd love to hear from you, and we'd be happy to help you. Again, that number is 915-562-7100. You can also learn more about Better News Radio, Cross of Grace Church, and Pastor Ricky all at our website, betternewsradio.com. All of Pastor Ricky's messages through the Bible are available to listen or download for free at betternewsradio.com. Just click on the radio tab. If you don't see what you're looking for on the homepage, just click one of the navigational links to find more details about everything that you need to grow in your faith. Once more, that's betternewsradio.com. We also encourage you to look for us on Facebook. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us again next time for more from Pastor Ricky and Better News Radio.